Hello and welcome to Point One Policy, uh, a podcast about the policies of BC and Canada and how they impact us in our day-to-day lives. I'm Regan Eberding, uh, writer at onesubstance.com, and alongside me is my brother. Nigel. Hello. So we've got a couple topics this week, as usual, one federal, one provincial. Um, I think we'll start provincial again this week and go into uh, the proposed LNG export terminal out of Kitimat, BC, uh, the political, economic, and environmental ramifications of that. And then we will get into talking about the tax loopholes that the Liberals have proposed to close and try and do a quick rundown of what they are, what they mean, and how significant they are. All right. So, uh, first thing with the LNG, um, so I guess essentially what the the thing is, is there's a proposed project for an expert term, export terminal, uh, which I guess is like a port sort of deal, or like a place where they can like store the the LNG before the, the liquefied natural gas, as we should say, um, before it gets transported away. And yeah, so they're proposing a project proposed, and the NDP is talking about if they're going to uh, support it or not, essentially, right? Yeah, if I can elaborate a little bit, it's uh, the, the plant they would be constructing. Um, I mean, there would be some sort of pipeline infrastructure to get there, and then there would be a liquefaction plant, which needs to cool the gas to negative 160 degrees Celsius uh, in order to make it a liquid uh, that condenses it, I think, something like 60-fold. I might be off by as much as a factor of 10 there, but it condenses it enough that it's commercially viable to transport it. Uh, at which point, wherever they're delivering it to, would need to also regasify it, which uh, is a process that comes at a cost too. And then um, they would need to expand their tanker capacity into the port of Kitimat. Yeah. Um, okay. So I've heard a lot about LNG in the last little while uh, because it's being talked about a bunch, but I didn't actually know what they were talking about. About it's just. Whether the NDP is going to support this uh, export terminal is essentially it, right? Yeah, so the Liberals had proposed four different export locations or four different pipeline streams. Two of them were in the same location, but four different places where they would be exporting LNG uh, to Asian markets. Uh, There was a huge... So this was like uh, a few years ago. A few years ago. There's a huge yeah, and there was a huge price drop in the value of LNG uh, in like 2015, 2016. It was down. Why did that happen? uh, There was just a a lot of it in the market at that point, and there wasn't a lot of places that had the infrastructure for it because it's not um, sort of replaceable with just other gases. You need you need LNG um, pipes and like you know plumbing into houses and everything, and so. Um, basically there was just a lot of it and there was more infrastructure for it being built. But at that time, the, uh, supply heavily outweighed the infrastructure capable of using that resource. What is LNG mostly used for? I mean, it's majority heating, cooking kind of deal in homes. Um, 
I mean, it's... it's All right, so, yeah, like, natural gas. It, it's just going to be, like, as soon as it arrives at uh, the Asian market, it's going to be regasified, and then that's how it's going to be transported. Is that right? That's how it'll be, be used. Used uh, once it hits the the network that it, it needs to access. Yes. It's just liquid and transport. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Across the Pacific. Yes. Um, so the natural gas we use is the same as liquefied natural gas, except for it's not really cold, and so it's not actually liquid. Yeah. Okay. So they would just use it in the same way we do. Yes. Okay. Um, and then how much... What is the... Like, if the government supports it, what does that even mean? They support the terminal or the project? Well, they do have some legislative power to... Um, make that difficult because it is uh, an export, which is technically a, a provincial decision, not like it's a provincial commerce, which is not then a regional decision, which Kitimat would be free to make themselves. And so, like, they need to approve Wait, of... What? The province needs to approve of trade deals. Okay. Just like the province negotiates softwood lumber deals with the states. Uh, if we're exporting raw materials from Canada then the government plays a role in approving those exports. Okay. And so that's where they would come in and um, not, I don't know if they technically have veto power, but uh, they could impose financial means that would make it unfeasible. Okay. So that's that's sort of the role they play in it. And so... Uh, would they actually have any uh, financial stake in the project? Are they... Are they- are they talking about paying for anything? So that's where things get kind of murky is uh, Horgan has stated that he will conditionally approve it. And so um, conditional approval can be anything from just completely unfeasible conditions that can that would not be met at all to very, very passable conditions. And, and some of those could be financial stakes. Um, but again, it's a very volatile market. And so... Uh, any more markup above the fairly expensive shipping costs um, is going to make any investors um, pretty discouraged. But are they're not proposing to help build or help pay for building the... There's been no mention of uh, provincial investment in this now. Okay. Okay. Um, another thing you talked about here is the, uh, the cost that you... Per something, I don't know, you guys have MMBTU? Um, I don't know what that unit is. Yeah, so the units are kind of weird. Uh, they worked in a couple of units. Uh, one was uh, cubic feet, or uh, which you see is MCF, which is just a thousand cubic feet. Um, and then the other one they were using is MMBTU, and that is uh, a million British thermal units. Um, Real quick, a thermal unit, a British thermal unit is uh, the amount of energy it takes to convert one liter of water or heat it by one degree centigrade. Um, so those are the two that they were using. Essentially, the conversion rate between them was like 1.037. So you can almost take them as equivalents. But I think I did all those conversions in the piece. Uh, okay, I just... This still doesn't mean anything to me. Like it costs. Okay, so you say it costs two fifteen uh, for transportation per. What is the unit? 
million British thermal units. Yeah, but what is... So, like... <laughs> You would think it would be in a cost per amount of yeah, so that's like in dollars. Okay, of, so or more yeah, I guess well, in amount of, of yeah, the the number they were giving there that I converted was from a uh, uh, thousand cubic feet, which is what they were measuring in when it was a a gas. But the reason I converted it is because the global prices are measured in MMBTUs, and so if we're talking about prices per volume of gas, I just wanted to keep those consistent so that when I'm talking about the range between I think it was four fifty and just over eleven dollars, uh the price for uh transporter. No, the market price. Yeah. Uh yeah. So just so you get an idea of how significant that two dollars and fifteen cents uh can be if that's fifty okay. percent of that cost. So what or, we're talking about here is they they expect it to be uh what so he's yeah, you got two fifteen uh for transport and the the world price has ranged from four fifty to eleven dollars. So it's like as much as almost half, uh, or to I guess like still over twenty percent or about twenty percent. Like yeah, still a fairly range. large portion. So um, it's a really uh, really large thing to overcome, uh, and that's why. Uh, there's been a lot of, especially when the prices floored and they didn't know they would come back up, uh, a lot of investors lost interest. Um, but they have risen up again uh, pretty aggressively. Uh, so the trends in the last six years or so, if you look, they'll, they'll come up and they'll peak right around the price they're at 11. And then there's very deep and consistent valleys and they stay low for a long time. Um, I don't know if you can believe those trends. I didn't take time to look into well it's a fairly new uh product isn't it yeah and it's hard to find numbers on how many new buildings are putting in the infrastructure for natural gas yeah kind of deal so it's not something that is easy to research where that price is going to go yeah yeah okay so that part is very complicated um and then okay so now uh we're about the politics of it all, uh, which is, I guess, the the meat and potatoes of, of what you you're talking about in the article. Um, it's uh, yeah, the there's a, a the Green Party is very opposed. They've been in a coalition, the NDP and the Green Party, uh, because of the way that the seats worked out in the last election. Uh, no, well, there's it's just three parties that got seats. The Liberals. Uh, the NDP and the Greens. The Greens got only three, but they were enough to tip the scales in either direction because it was so close between the other two. And the other two didn't have uh, over 50%. So they now hold a lot of power and they've worked uh, in a coalition with uh, the NDP, essentially. Not not exactly, but they've agreed to, not, or to, to vote in confidence with the NDP on a bunch of things. Uh, so now they're threatening to not vote with them if uh, if if the NDP is going to go ahead with uh, with LNG uh, because Andrew Weaver, the leader of the Green Party and and the party, are staunchly against it. Uh, yeah, I mean the Green Party has a roots in environmental uh, yeah, the Green policy party. being their strongest thing, obviously. So um, that was, I think, the largest term of Weaver's agreement with Horgan was that he needed to be serious about meeting reductions targets. And um, 
well, the math on those is interesting because when you're exporting these things, you don't actually count it against your emissions. It's where they are burned, not where they are produced. But um, increasing fossil fuel production is obviously against uh, yeah, decreasing I mean, you, emissions. If you're not counting them, if they're not burned here, I'm like, sure, you can do that. But <laughs> if you're creating more things to be burned, then, you know, that's... Yeah. But what I'm saying is targets, just just the pure targets yeah, number. Is, but it's just a funny, it's just an accounting trick, really. Like, you're not, you can't yeah. be like, oh, no, no, not our problem, you know? It's like, just deferring gains into another year, essentially, would be the accounting equivalent, which is completely illegal. Um, okay, but so, uh, yeah, you talked about how if, uh, if, uh, if Horgan and the... And the NDP government want to go ahead with it, that uh, they will essentially launch a new election. Um, and I definitely don't think that's true, because the BC Liberals are the ones who like had this idea all along and have been champions of it, and they don't have a leader right now, and they, they definitely do not want an election. Uh, so... so you're speculating that if there was a vote of no confidence, the Liberals would not... They'd support this. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I'm, it's something I haven't considered. Uh, I mean, it's been a long time since they've been in the opposition party, so it's hard to say what kind of role they play. But they've been, just the NDP and the Liberals in general, have been a pretty stark contrast on almost everything. So. Yeah, but when a party doesn't have a leader, and they're very close as uh, as they are, like they have a lot of seats for a official opposition party... More than the more than the NDP, um, then yeah, it just I don't think that makes any sense, and so I don't think we can we can just assume that that's what's going to happen. Um, yeah, and I mean it is there is a potential that that is his gamble, um, but at the same time, if he loses the confidence of the Green Party on an environmental issue, then it's basically just a matter of time before the Liberals decide that they have their things in order to trigger another election and can do that unless he recovers the confidence of the Green Party, which would be very difficult considering their number one issue is environment. Maybe, but they're, if they're still talking about the uh, the proportional representation and stuff that's coming up, that's like way more important to the Green Party than anything else because that has the potential to bring them a lot more power uh, for a lot of time, long time in the future. Um yeah, that's definitely a, a valid point. Um, so uh, maybe that, that speculation was a little bit overzealous and who knows how it would play out. Um, it, just, it definitely makes their hold on leadership a lot more vol- volatile if they don't have a coalition with the Greens. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyways, we're getting... Well, I guess this is what you wrote about. Uh, so we are we are getting into into politics and not just policy uh, at this point. But I'm fine with that. Um, <laughs> I'm very interested in the the politics of it all, anyways. Uh, but but yeah, I just I just wanted to red flag that basically and say mm, not sure our assumptions here are as certain as we thought they were. That's that's probably fair. Um, yeah, it, it didn't really occur to me that there's a potential for the uh, liberals to vote in confidence with them. But um, I 
it would be tough for them to win if they were shooting down an LNG project as their platform to trigger an election without a leader. Without a leader. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, then, then I guess you also have some stuff about the the mayors of the the smaller towns and the the jobs um, that this project could create um, and uh, and yeah those are those are real things um, like yeah Kitimat and well probably especially Kitimat are is you know they're struggling for for jobs and stuff and so. Uh, yeah. yeah, it makes sense that they would, they would want to have something like this. Um, I don't know where all the permanent jobs would be, but I bet most of them would be there, too. Yes. Um, I mean, the NEB didn't do a really big breakdown, but it was just... Uh, that was the only job the estimate. National that was, Energy Board? National Energy Board. The only job estimate that was fully published uh, that I, I found reliable, so... Um, but yeah, I mean, three to five thousand was the permanent or the short-term job numbers, and then it was a hundred to two hundred permanent jobs. And I mean, even a hundred jobs that are decent-paying and sustainable in a community of eighty-three hundred people is a significant impact. Yeah, for sure, it can uh, probably bring some people from out of town over there and boost other local business and things like that. So it. Would have a serious effect, uh, but uh, yeah, there's also there's also costs and and anytime you want to increase the infrastructure for any kind of uh, fossil fuels, then it's hard to reduce the world usage. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the old turning off the tap metaphor is um, what is that one that's used often? It's just essentially once you have a pipeline built, it's uh, the the cost of transporting it is very little once the infrastructure is in place just an economic principle once you've made that initial investment it's uh got to be really really heavily taxed or regulated in order for it to stop happening yeah oh uh yeah so if this is i guess is mainly being used to heat houses you talked about how it's uh well it's going to to be used for new things as opposed to replacing old ones or or something like that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, that's, again, it's going to be really hard to, to say because how much, uh, like, people have to heat their houses, and if they're going to heat them by uh, natural gas or if they're going to heat them by uh, electricity or by uh, oil or whatever else gets used... Uh, or wood, um, like natural gas is is one of the best um, for now, uh, and like because a lot of the electrical stuff is still coal powered, and uh, that's not that's not better. Yeah, but then again, it, it's like now it's worse than just regular natural gas because you now you have to liquefy it, and that has a lot of uh, energy cost as well. Uh, so. Yeah, it's All a really nuanced conversation. Um, it was something that uh, there was one class in school where we uh, spent about two weeks reading contrasting papers on the idea of what the reductions might be, if there would be reductions, um, talking because it's a very, very nuanced conversation when we're talking about 
shipping it to multiple different markets and um, what their current energy production distribution is and temporary reductions versus long-term changes. And so, um, but um, of the, I think, six papers we read on it, uh, the there was two who found that it would be uh, negligible in plus minus and then everything else had it as an increase. Um, so... I just find the the picture of it being a decrease to be misleading. Yeah, uh, I'm not saying it's one way or the other. Just saying it's complicated, and uh, yeah, I don't. You don't want to. Yeah, and there's huge energy questions because um, the construction rates in China right now are just astronomical. Um, new infrastructure is going in there quickly, and heating is a component of new buildings and raising up the quality of life and that's although it depends on what part because heating doesn't have to be a prayer. i guess like it can be for your stove and stuff but like a lot of places in china are warm enough that you don't really need to heat them yeah i mean not always but i mean the energy demands of specific locations of china is <laughs> beyond the scope of my knowledge yeah. they, they are there are energy demands even if it's not heating though so but natural gas doesn't really work for all energy demands i it can be pretty versatile but it's it's not used that way it's mostly used for for heating and for cooking. like a yeah yes so i don't imagine they would be creating uh a power plant based on the what they can get from uh bc lng exports mm, they no not not exclusively uh they already are bringing a bunch in which is why the price is going up and there's more demand. So uh, there are other global sources, uh, which... But I don't, they're not building power plants for it. Are they not just making electricity? No, not not that I've stumbled across anywhere. That was not a question I thought to ask because that doesn't seem like... Right, so... The, at that point, So then the power needs aren't that important. It's really the heating and, and stove, basically. Yeah, predominantly. Yeah, anyways... <laughs> Uh, I think that's I think that's pretty much all I wanted to talk about in this. I it's I think it's important to understand which regions of the province it's affecting. Okay, yeah. Um, those well, yeah. Uh, Dawson Creek and Fort St. John are kind of uh, like Alberta almost. They're on the other side of the Rockies, and they're like uh, oil and gas industry, and uh, yeah. But that's I mean, if you look at the LNG basin. Uh, the reserves, they're predominantly on the interior of BC. Uh, so that's okay. where we would be pulling it from. <clears throat> um, but yeah, just, just saying that's kind of what it's like over there. It's uh, I've worked there and the roads were all black from the, the just the carbon deposits. It's, it's crazy. The dirt roads. <laughs> yeah. Almost a cartoon character, but yeah. Anyways. Uh, yeah, so uh, I guess if we can move on now to... I guess that also means it would have to cross the, the Rockies. Yes. Which is pretty crazy. Yes, it's... Uh, I don't have the number on top of me, but it was multiple billions of dollars of investment to get this uh, going. Yeah, because getting a pipeline across a giant mountain chain like that is tough. Yes. Indeed it is. Okay, well, <laughs> that's LNG. So, yeah, moving on, uh, I wanted to... I've heard a lot of talk about um, basically the quote-unquote small business tax, loop, tax loopholes that are getting closed and 
uh, a lot of pieces on the impacts that would have on small business. Um, and so I, as someone who wasn't educated on exactly what those tax loopholes were, uh, wanted to just try and write short explainers about what they are exactly so we can understand uh, what this conversation is really about. Yeah. So um, we got income tax. Well, there's two sorts of things happening. There's the there's a tax cut and uh, a closing of loopholes. Um, the first thing I want to say about is, like loopholes or loopholes is kind of a funny term because it like implies that there's a mistake or a problem. There's a hole in the in the code that uh, can be exploited, sort of thing. Um, and and it is, I guess that is what it's what's happening. Uh, but I, I mean, I think. Uh, some some of those are are deliberate and like they you know everyone everyone was going to do the best they can to pay well you know to reduce their taxes in the ways that they should and the ways that they can uh, and like that's just financially prudent to do that and everyone should but uh, yeah so then there's there's going beyond the or the spirit of the or the intention of the law and I, I, that's sort of I think what we're talking about when we're talking about loop, like closing loopholes is uh, essentially yeah and I wanted to be kind of clear on this stuff and I think it's important to clarify it because uh, this idea of people cheating taxes has a tendency to um, vilify them and, and I mean if it's written as such and you can not pay them I think it's totally you know a reasonable thing to do to try and maximize it's unreasonable your, to pay more taxes than you should yeah so it's reasonable to try and maximize your tax return um but rewriting tax codes so that they are more in line with what their intention was to avoid these exploitations is also something that i think is reasonable and so right. i don't think we should vilify those who have been using these but at the same time i don't know how much of a right there is to be upset that they're being corrected um yeah yeah i guess so uh one of the things i want to flag there is the uh the intention uh when they're created because i uh think a lot of times when these things are created there are intentional loopholes that are left uh because a lot of times the people who are making the tax code uh are of, of means and will know that there are ways to get around it and and it will benefit it will benefit them it'll be very difficult to see and and understand until a ways down the road uh and just it will go by the public as without uh without causing an uproar really um but i you know yeah i mean it, it's that's in speculation and i don't want to assume uh ill intent uh there's definitely a possibility that it's there in writing these things but uh that's well, i don't even not know. something that i know and so it's not something i want to assert yeah i yeah i just don't want to i just don't want to say that there was never an intention for these to be used the way that they're being used because i think okay. that may have may have been intended that way but anyways um, but they weren't presented that way anyways uh so the 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 i guess there's three sorts of uh of ways there are loopholes that are being attempted to be closed, um, and that is in income sprinkling, capital gains, and passive investment income. So, as I understand, uh, income sprinkling 
is when you uh, you just basically share some of your income with your immediate family so that no one person is uh, on the, getting taxed at the higher brackets, essentially, right? Yeah, so... Because we have a progressive tax code, and as you earn more money, you start to be charged a higher percentage of your... Uh, Per higher percentage per dollar earned after a certain amount of earning. Yeah, there's a there's a major jump at seventy three thousand dollars, I think it is, uh, from fifteen percent to twenty five percent. And so, if you can avoid that um, by paying your wife or your children uh, a salary when they are like a, either too large <laughs> of a salary or when they're working minimally for the company, or a large salary when they're not working at all. Um, then you can minimize how much you're paying that 25% rate and be paying the 15% rate for more of your money. Yeah. Um, the calculation I did on the article had $150,000 um, and it was split between three people at $50,000 each instead of one person at 150. dollars And there was uh, just around ten grand I think, in savings from that mm-hmm. annually. Mm-hmm. It was more than that. Oh, wait. No, it was about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, again, it's one of these... It's a... But that. But that's all depending on... Like, yeah, I don't know. It, it, the rate changed from 193 to 13.1% when you, when you share your income. Yeah. So, again, when we think about larger amounts of money, uh, it would become more significant because it's not until you break that $73,000 threshold that you're really... Um, it's costing you anything and 76 76,000 um, so the idea then that someone who's making a hundred thousand is, is really hurting from that is it's not really real there has to be a fairly measurable sum above that tax break in order for it to, to hurt someone yeah um, one of the things you so like you, you said that your example is of a hundred and fifty thousand dollars but where is that one hundred fifty thousand dollars in the business's revenue, or is it in the business's profits, or is it in your personal income from running the business? Like, yeah, that would be the income that the owner was claiming. Okay, so that would does that have does that owner have to be a or the yeah like does that income all have to be from the owner? From ownership of the business, essentially, like yeah, so that wouldn't work. That wouldn't work uh, if you were a high up at a company making that, uh, because then the company dictates to the government what they've paid you, and you can't just say, "Oh, well, they're also paying my wife and children." Um, But we have seen a lot more people who were running sole proprietorships going incorporated so that they can put people on their payroll. Um, There was only one point. 2 million corporations in 2001 in uh, Canada and in 2014 there was 1.8 million so there's an increase in 600,000 of 600,000 businesses which is a very large number and you have to assume that some of those people were creating those for the sole purpose of being able to distribute their wages between multiple family members well to because that's just the prudent thing to do right yeah (laughs) yeah uh but uh, yeah, okay. So then, that 150 is in is in profit for the business essentially. Yeah. Yes. 
like left over for the owner. Well, I mean, I don't want to profit for the business is a, a precarious thing because as we'll get into, there are things like passive investment, investing income well, that you can yeah, get Yeah, there's into. so many different kinds of business. So that's why that's why I, I'm like, your $150,000 in income for a business owner it can mean a lot of different things. Would be that. So that's the money pulled out of the company and going to the individual. So okay. that so transferring from the business bank account to, to the personal yes, bank account. Yes. Okay. Right. Um, and the reason I use that 150 is just that was kind of the threshold that the liberals threw out as where these things are going to have an impact or start to have an impact. Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, there still is an impact at numbers slightly under that, but. Um, Again, uh, the marginal returns are much larger for numbers 150 and upwards. Uh, yeah. So, like, if you're at 100,000, then you're not that much over your $76,000 threshold. So, you're only your last, what is that, 14,000 yeah. that's going to be on the Yeah, so you're looking bracket, at so. 10% of that last 14,000, which is only 1400 bucks. Yeah, so not a huge thing. Yeah. Okay, so... Yeah, income sprinkling uh, is something I've heard a lot about, but I never had properly explained. Uh, but yeah, so I guess it's a business owner using or yeah, purporting to have their their close family work for them, uh, so that they're each at lower tax brackets and thus pocketing more money. And so, well, it's fairly easy to agree that that's unfair and kind of circumnavigating the, the code. The issue is um, sort of creating a burden of proof for if your family member is working. So let's say that I run a company and I just deal with doing the work and I let my wife do all the banking um, and there is no well-defined job there. Um, so then for the government to come in and say, you need to prove uh, what her role was, uh, we're going to tell you what a fair wage for that is, and then to try and stipulate, I guess, hours worked or work produced, um, what the paperwork or process for that looks like uh, seems really daunting to me. Yeah, I haven't heard anyone talk about that, but that does sound uh, like it would be... Yeah, so the, the, the only... They haven't produced any documents. The only thing they've said is, uh, like reasonable wage for whatever position they're filling and like proof that they're filling that position. So what that looks like, I don't honestly have a clear idea. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, but uh, anyways, I think that makes sense. It could be big problems if it's really hard to enforce uh, because like however much you're earning back from this closing this loophole and now you you're earning more tax money as you should but if it's costing you just as much to monitor and enforce the rule then you know you're not really not really making any gains but uh we'll have to see i guess how expensive the uh enforcement is and but it seems like uh this seems completely fair and seems like something that should definitely be done so long as it can be done as it can be done i guess yeah, basically, um, which we'll see what that looks like when they actually put forth a, a plan for that one. Um, the next one is uh, what's called passive investment income. Uh, the best way really to explain this is if you have 
an individual who creates a corporation and an individual who doesn't, one who incorporates and one who doesn't, doing the same job, and they make a certain amount of money. Um, essentially, after what they have in expenses in their lives, one person claims, well, claims it all as income, pays the tax for it, and then invests in themselves, like as a private investor, and the other person takes exactly what they need out for living expenses, uh, and then they don't pay taxes on the income, then they leave it in the corporation and they invest through that. And in doing that, they avoid paying the income tax. Uh, okay, so yeah, this one is a little bit harder for me to grasp. Uh, so the passive investment income is essentially, can, can you say it quicker? <laughs> uh, yeah, passive investment income is just uh, leaving any money you don't need for living expenses in the company and putting it in stocks or whatever through the company's name instead of your name and thus not having the uh, income tax. Okay, so essentially same deal as before, you run a business, you take out, you or like you were going to transfer $150,000 to yourself uh, from the business account to the personal account at the end of the year and then you were going to invest uh, a portion of that in because you didn't need it and you just got, you know, you're saving up or whatever. And, uh, but now instead of you say, okay, maybe I won't take that full 150, I'll leave whatever portion I was going to invest and invest it through the company. And now it looks like you've earned less money and you paid less income tax, but the effect of the, the effect is the same you've done, right? Yeah, so so long as that company is in your name, um, those values are still yours. It's just not direct income in that year. And what's going to happen is eventually you're going to sell the company way down the road and, and we'll pay a much smaller capital gains tax instead of, um, which is not to be confused with capital gains, but you'll pay it a, a smaller tax on selling a business than you would on the income tax that you were taking annually. Um, and you would have more saving power because instead of losing that money up front, which obviously if you invest more money at the start and they grow at the same rate, you get more money out at the end. Nah. No? Okay. So the the way it was explained to me that was the, the easiest uh, was, I think it was the example of an interior designer and they had $200,000 in profit. Um, which is a lot for an interior designer, but we won't get into that. Um, and one person claimed it all as income. And so then they'd pay a pretty high rate for their taxes. And let's say they pay um, $40,000 in income tax. Okay. Um, the other person figures out they only need $50,000 worth of living expenses. And so they claim an income of $50,000 and pay, or 50, say they claim 60, pay 10 and have the 50 that they need to survive. Um, then at the end of that, what's left in that, if I pay, if I took out 60,000, I have 140 to invest. If I took out 200,000 and I paid 40 in income tax, then I have 160, I needed 50 to survive, then I only have 110 left. To invest. To invest. And, right, the less to invest and you pay yeah. more income tax. And as that happens year over year over year, these numbers become fairly large. Right, because as you invest, you can earn back a portion of that, uh, what you would have paid in income tax, 
Which you will like this doesn't stop you. You will still eventually have to pay income tax on on that money, right? Because you can't. Uh, there are some things you can do uh, if you're selling the company or going into retirement that ease the amount that you're paying in, in income tax. Um, but you're also gaining just the investment benefit of that over. Yeah, yeah. but but it's uh, it's not. It's not never paying income tax on the, on this money because eventually it is income, but it's collecting twenty years worth of um, profits off those investments. Okay, so what's their what, what's their policy they're trying to change then? Uh, so the policy that they are trying to change is that um, basically you can have uh, a maximum of and and this is where it really when I looked into this is where it really became this is obviously just for well-off people is that you can have a maximum of uh, $50,000 in uh, passive investment income gains per year, which means you can have a million dollars invested in your business, like in stocks through the business at a 5% return rate, annual return rate, and be okay. But anything more than that is going to get taxed. And so... If you're looking at this some, is the new policy they want to put forward. This is the new policy they want to put forward. So if you're looking at a company that has a million dollars in cash on hand or investment money for a rainy day, I mean, we're not talking about a corner store or... Uh, Did that money not get taxed at all before? No. I mean, once like you the investment pulled gains? it out, but the, the uh, investment gains were not... Business investment gains weren't... I mean, they were being taxed at the same rate as investment or business tax, which twelve point nine percent or whatever. Okay. So very very low compared to, I mean, your starting off rate for income tax at the lowest bracket is still larger than that. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, this one still seems a little confusing. Uh, because like there's also big corporations that are going to need you know that they're they're going to need that much in their yeah bank accounts but they're going to pay like big corporations are going to pay a higher rate on having a bunch of stocks invested in their company's name. Mm, what do you mean a higher rate? So th- they haven't floated exactly what those those rates will be, but uh, I think so, so. This will this will cost the idea that if you have gains over fifty thousand, I think they'll be taxed at a competitive rate with what income tax would be. So then it doesn't make a difference if you're investing that privately or if you're investing that through the company. Uh, right, but like some corporations are not really owned by private individuals, right? So the bigger ones like that, how does that work? I mean, they haven't released a full plan yet, so they haven't elaborated on what we're talking about. What we're talking it just about. seems like when you're talking about companies with multi-billion dollar, but millions of dollars on hand to invest, then like there's not that many, and a lot of those ones are not going to be owned by an individual. Yeah, but again, this whole thing has been a conversation around small business, and that's what we're trying to address. So. Um, whether there exists already a different set of rules for way large, like okay. very large corporations or um, companies that are traded privately, or there will just be a different set of rules. It's not a part of this conversation. Yeah, essentially. Okay. So, okay. Well, this seems like then it just affects not that many. Again, not that many people. When we're talking about small business. Well, the other one seems like it will affect actually a fair number. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other one was a, like income sprinkling will affect more people but at a smaller cost. 
Whereas passive income investment income will affect less people, but they'll be a much more well-off subset. Right. If you have a million dollars in a company that you own invested through the company, you're not someone who's really hurting for stability. Right. But then the only, well, but then uh, I guess an argument against that would be that that will uh, just cause people to hide their money away and... Uh, offshore tax havens sort of thing but but anyways that can't really be addressed through this either so. no offshore tax havens are a different conversation which um, I hope to get to at some point here but um, it's a that's one that's quite abstract just because the what's going on with this banking is not tracked very well and our only means of trying to figure that even out even is going through things like the Panama Papers and trying to decipher what's happening there yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on to capital gains. Okay. Um, so, capital gains. Capital gains. That's when you invest in things and then uh, they become more expensive and then you sell them and then you've earned money. Yeah. So, if I want to, um, let's say, own a bunch of or a couple... Uh, mechanic shops and I have one and I expand to a second location um, and then for whatever reason it's too much work and I sell my original location um, if I bought that original location for $200,000 and I sold it 10 years later for $400,000 then there's a, a capital gain of $200,000 there and that is going to have some taxation on it um, the numbers are a little bit different by province, but for BC, um, it's for something like $200,000, I believe it was 19.8%. But even that is a misleading number because for what, like every every country has a capital gains that taxes a percentage of capital gains. And for some reason, Canada is 50%. And so basically, if I make $200,000, I'm paying taxes on $100,000 of it and $100,000 I'm getting outright. So if they say there's a 19.8% tax on 50%. my $200,000 or yeah, 19.8% tax on 50% is a 9.9% tax. Yeah. Really. Um, and so um, again, this is, this is getting more into a nuanced area where explaining it is difficult, but uh, creating multiple holding firms and uh, basically transferring money a couple of ways and buying some things and selling some things. You can claim income as capital gains instead of claiming it as income and pay way less in taxes. Yeah. Uh, so I guess the first thing I think about here is why are capital gains taxed less than, than other income? That was something I tried to... I think it's encouraging people to spend on infrastructure and... Um, to invest. Invest. Uh, the other thing I came across, which was interesting to me, was that uh, there's a lifetime exemption on capital exception on capital gains in which you don't have to pay any, and that number is eight hundred and thirty-five thousand dollars. And so, once I established that, I tried to do some calculations about the type of wealth we're talking about before you're getting taxed anything important, because. Even when you go over that, it's still only 50% of the tax it actually was. And so 
the wealth you have to have for you have to made basically a million dollars or more to have any for this to even affect you yeah and so you can do this before you've made a million dollars and pay zero dollars in tax yeah and um by all my understanding that's still going to be a thing for the first eight hundred and thirty five thousand dollars and so um i mean if we're talking about taxing people after they've had eight hundred and thirty five thousand seven hundred and sixteen which is a weird number uh um non-taxed capital gains then it's obviously a fairly well-off individual yeah that's crazy so the when i went into this conversation i thought i was reviewing small businesses and from everything i look at these tax loopholes this is not well the the income spreading whatever yeah the income spreading will affect small businesses more but the other two are much more at least medium-sized to large businesses and not um so when i hear conversations people it's like (laughs) yeah so when i hear a lot of commentary that I was uh, had read previously was uh, this is going to have a harm to the incentive to start up a company. Um, I feel like for passive investment income and capital gains, that's quite unfounded. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, but so, okay, what we talked about here, um, businesses take advantage of capital gains by transferring income through holding companies what does what, what is a holding company and how do how do they how does that work um so i don't want to go too far into this but a holding company is if you create a corporation that is essentially just not serving a public service but holds funds for whatever certain amount of time um and then you can either sell the corporation as an entity um, which is basically with its, its bank valuation of being exactly what the money is in it. So the business is just a bank account. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of like deceitful uh, accounting that would go into doing this through holding companies, but it's it is it's creating corporations to. But they have to look like they've grown, right? Or like they have to. How do you get income off of? Them? Um, well, how does this how does this tie into capital gains? Because their value grows as you put money into them. And so then if you can sell them as a company instead of selling them as dollars, then it's the, that holding company that you have had has gained uh, in value. Or this corporation that you owned and you sold that company. Right. You've made a good That company has had a capital gain. Okay. Um, and that's, that's a little bit reductory, but um, without going into... Uh, that was essentially the idea behind it but it's done a little bit fancier than that yeah okay so okay uh makes sense i guess i mean not fully but we don't really need to get into the (laughs) the idea of it makes sense yeah so yeah those are the the three that were going on and then uh the the other thing that we mentioned briefly at the start was there's going to be a reduction in the um federal uh, business tax rate uh, from it's 10.5 now down to 9 um, which um, I, that was not a number I was had worked with before and so when I looked up what other countries were I was really really surprised that uh, how low it is yeah. um, but yeah so w- without but then there's also provincial so with the BC provincial one 
uh, I believe it's 12.9%. Yeah, so corporate tax, is that just on incorporated businesses? Is that how that works? Yeah, yeah. But okay. it's not, by my understanding, it's not exclusively profit, but it's just like money change. It's, it's kind of, so it's a... It's, it's in your revenue. Yeah. Not your profit. Yeah. So um, it's a little bit more impactful. Are all the other ones from the other countries that were much higher? Is that how they're calculated also? Um, from the charts I was reading, it didn't specify otherwise. Would probably make sense, though, because profits are... You can budget accounting a lot easier than you can with revenue. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, lowering that is, is an interesting choice. Um, I think it frames as an, as an offset. So, then for people who weren't uh, taking advantage of tax loopholes, they will make more money. Uh, right. Yeah. So, um, but the numbers I got or the government even estimated, um, for how much that would save small businesses in general, because it was, uh, that number is only for the first $500,000 and, uh, what? the, that tax decrease. That rate. Yeah. So there is an increase for larger businesses, but, there's um, like a, there's like a secondary bracket. They must, is it, uh done the same way as income is done where like your first 500,000 is taxed at the lower and then your next is taxed at the higher that or is it all of it once you pass a certain threshold is taxed at the higher uh the former was my understanding uh, of how that process worked but either ways the the estimate was that it'll save small businesses 2.9 billion dollars over the next five years so something like 300 million or sorry 600 million 600, yeah, 600 million a year um, across all businesses. And so um, that's larger than the numbers we were looking at for income sprinkling. Um, but all of the estimates I've seen on passive investment income and capital gains is that uh, the government will be bringing in significantly more money um, than they were previously. So is it an overall tax break? No, but well, it is. A, it it is, is because it just plainly is. <laughs> But then they're they're just yeah. closing loopholes that yeah. yeah. But is it a true uh, burden reduction? And I mean that depends on how each individual company yeah, it's gonna be different. runs their taxes. But um, it looks to me like uh, this, this the smaller of the businesses revenue. will bring in slightly more revenue. Um, but even if you produce that full five hundred thousand and you get a one point five percent reduction it's not a whole lot of money right that's seven and a half thousand dollars yeah so it, it's it's a it's a marginal difference uh but that's yeah that's still not nothing um and if you're well yeah these other things uh it seems like they make sense for the intent of uh or like for the the spirit of the the tax code yeah um I certainly felt better with it as a direction after learning more. Um, but, I mean, I don't want to presume to tell people what to think about it. I'm more here just to talk about the idea of it in general. Well, a lot of what I had heard about this was that, uh, like, they, the government, liberal government has been facing a lot of heat on, on these proposed changes, right? And uh, basically everything that I heard is that it's, a problem of communication, not a policy. Like, nobody really thinks... Well, I mean, 
there people are putting a big stink up about it and uh some people yeah um, there's there's a there's a organized force against it yeah. but i think that in general most people looking at it uh are saying yeah this makes sense uh but they it's the rhetoric that they came out with and uh, how they explained uh what was happening yeah that. and it's it's something that's completely politically difficult we just spent an hour trying to roll through what these are <laughs> or a half hour and it's not not easy to explain not easy to convey and so um it's something that if people want to organize messaging against it it's going to be difficult to find easy accessible talking points to shoot that down yeah yeah so i think that'll uh just about ended here for us at uh, Point One Policy for the week. Uh, if you're interested in reading more, you can find pieces on these two subjects at one the number substance.com. That's one substance.com. Uh, there's a link there to subscribe to get emails when new uh, podcasts and pieces come out. Uh, you can also follow us on, at at one or at point one substance p-o-i-n-t number one substance on twitter um yeah have you tweeted i've not tweeted yet but we're not live yet so we'll tweet when we are live (laughs) and uh yeah thanks for spending the time and if you have any questions shoot me an email suggestions at uh point one substance at gmail.com thanks for listening Did you listen to all the last one? Yeah.